Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Meeting the the different people from, you know, all different kind of, you know, walks of life. You know, the uh, first and foremost, everybody cared for the dog. And it wasn't a competitive situation that I thought it would be. It was a, um, uh, a lot of cooperation. There's always something to debate or argue in the dog world, but there's this one thing that's not up for debate. All hunters and dog owners know you need the right gear, not just for yourself, but for your dogs as well. Conkey's Outdoors Hound and Hunting Supply is your number one source for all things hound related. Conkey's is owned and operated by true houndsmen themselves. They've got you covered no matter the game you're chasing from hog hunting, bear hunting, and even gator hunting. Bird dog guys don't feel left out either. They have whatever you need, whether it's training collars, tracking collars, boots, chaps, vests, coats, and more. No matter what you and your dog needs to have a successful hunt, check out conkeysoutdoors.com and they'll get you on the right track. Purchases over $100 gets you free shipping and enter GDIY5 to save 5%. And if you're a Patreon patron, you get to save even more money. So be sure to check out Conkeys Outdoors. Welcome back to another week of GDIY, everybody. Hope everybody had a great Christmas and got to spend some time with family and maybe got out for a hunt or two and hope they had a lot of fun. And we're going to close out this year with the last regular recording with Jeff Tucker of Foothills Navda. He just recently started that chapter and we actually get quite a bit of uh, people reaching out asking how they can get involved with NAVDA if there's no chapter in their area and what they have to do to start a chapter. So we had Jeff come on and talk about the steps and the processes that he went through to start his brand new chapter. And even if you are already have a chapter in your area and you're just looking to get more involved or make it more efficient. We touch on a few things that uh, every chapter can learn from and, and and instill in their processes and make it a little bit more efficient as far as training days and just job assignments, you know, kind of lighten the load for everybody within the chapter, so on and so forth. But it's a fun little episode. It kind of goes into uh, a few good examples of how there's really a lot of benefits to within NAVDA besides just training day opportunities and and getting out there to work your dog. You know, it it kind of is a sense of community, but hope you guys enjoy that. Um, Like I just said, this is the last regular episode for 2020. Thank God the uh, the year is finally coming to a close, and maybe we can get a nice new fresh start here in a here in a week or so. But uh, just wanted to thank everybody who listened and supported us throughout the year. It's been fantastic. We grew leaps and bounds more than we ever anticipated when we just a year and a half ago or so uh, decided to start this podcast. So it's been a lot of fun, and uh, the feedback from you guys have been great. Uh, it, it, it's real humbling when people reach out and uh just communicate the support and and what they get out of this podcast it's uh, it really is humbling and uh, we really do appreciate it and we have a lot of big plans coming up for 2021 uh least of which is the uh 
training camp at Scott Caldwell's in Lillington, North Carolina. It's uh, April 23rd through the 25th. If you are interested in that, you need to reach out now. We are about three quarters of the way full right now. I think we still have one spot available for the uh, Patreon slot. So you get a little bit of a uh, price cut for that if you go ahead and sign up now. But if you are interested, do not wait. Shoot us an email, gundogityourself at gmail.com. And uh, I'll be happy to answer any questions and give you any more information that uh, if you're interested in coming down. But looking forward to that. And uh, like I said, we, we have all kinds of other ideas and uh, content coming your way next year. So be sure to stick around and, and continue to support that. But not going to keep it too much longer uh, with me just doing the intro by myself this week. Uh, you know, Joe being uh, downtown Nashville, that... Uh, explosion on the uh christmas morning it, it he's fine his whole family's fine and everything but uh you know we're, we're hoping that this gets out all okay on time because he's still out of uh internet and phone service so it's just me closing out the year for you guys and uh here in a few days hopefully uh joe can still join us but we are headed to alabama to bring in the new year we're going to go down there and link up with Andrew and Jacob of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. We're going to take them out for their first real kind of upland hunt with a dog, uh, maybe a little duck hunting here and there. Uh, but if you guys haven't checked them out, you need to, you definitely need to go look up Southern Outdoorsman because they are kind of like us in the more deer and turkey uh, element. But uh, they're getting their first dogs this spring. So, as you all know and can relate to, once you get a dog, you can't shut up about it. So I'm sure they're going to have a lot of uh, dog content coming up as well on their podcast. But be sure to check them out. And uh, again, hope everybody had a safe holiday season. Bring it in safe on New Year's. Get out, have fun, hunt a little bit. And uh, I'm going to close it out with everybody's favorite joke this time of the year. See you guys next year. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you can need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. All right, everybody. We're joined with Jeff Tucker of the Foothills NAVDA chapter this week. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Getting ready for the holidays. There you go. Uh, so go ahead and start with the obvious. Tell everybody where you're from and uh, what kind of got you into the dog world. All right. So I am a uh, native of North Carolina. I grew up in a real small rural area of uh, North Carolina. We actually um, go by the county in that area. It's called Anson County. And, um, uh, with there, uh, when I was growing up there, I did a lot of squirrel hunting and deer hunting. Um, 
when I got to college, my world kind of opened up in a lot of respects. And uh, one of the things that happened is I went duck hunting for the very first time and just really fell in love with it. And as uh, my friends began to kind of graduate, they started getting into, you know, some hunting dogs. At that time, it was mostly lab labs. And I guess me being a little different than everybody else, I kind of wanted to um, learn about other types of dogs. So this mm-hmm. is back in the late 90s. And uh, to do research, you know, you hopped on the World Wide Web using <laughs> AOL or some type of dialogue. <laughs> Google didn't even exist back then. But for some, somehow, some way, I connected on a website that told me about a German short hair pointer and a versatile dog. And I was intrigued and I was like, okay, I like the looks of this dog. It would be good for uh, retrieving some of my ducks. So, you know, let's go for it. So, you know, back then the next step was how do I get a hold of a German short hair pointer? And uh, I started where everybody started, which is the classifieds of the, of the newspaper. <laughs> yep. and there happened to be a guy selling a, a short hair for $250, not too far away. So, I called him up, drove down there, and uh, had had set in my mind that I wanted a liver and roan short hair, uh, female, a little bit on the smaller side. And uh, lo and behold, this guy's got one dog available. It's a male. It's liver and white. And uh, wasn't what I was looking for, but I decided to go for it. So uh, <laughs> I talked yep. him down to $200. He said he may or may not have papers on it. And I said, I don't know. <laughs> may or may not. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, did that just depend on if you were going to talk him down on price or stay at the regular price? At regular price, you get papers. If, if you talk me down, then no papers. <laughs> Is that what it was? Well, I wasn't really sure. I, th- I figured as soon as he said that it may or may not have papers. In my mind, I was like, this dog doesn't have papers. I'm not paying $250. And um, that was actually one of my um, choices to why I actually had the dog neutered. I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to breed this dog. But um, fast forward a couple of years later, when I did a little something with the dog, the guy came back and said, I was able to figure out the paperwork with AKC. And uh, I think your dog might be good for breeding. And I was like, <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So how did you go from landing on your first German short hair to uh, starting to get into the Navda game? Or did that come much later? Did you just, with that first dog, go out and hunt and kind of just figure out the dog training uh, process? Yeah, you know, again, this is the you know late 90s, early 2000s. And um for my, for me to do training, it basically was, you know, what book can I get a hold of? And oh, yeah. a big popular book back then was Walter's Gun Dog. So, I, almost, I almost just cut in and read <laughs> the title without you even saying it. Yeah. Yep. So with my uh, brand new copy of Walter's Gun Dog in hand, you know, I went through reading it going, you know, this is kind of written for a lab, but yep. know, I, I want to go duck hunting. So, you know, I tried to put together as best I, as I could. And at that same time, coincidentally, um, I happened to run into um, a guy named Mike Zlotnicki. He's an outdoors writer here in uh, North Carolina. And he also, at the time, had a liver and white short hair that looked just like mine, except his was a female and her name was Kate. So Mike and I became fast friends and we kind of... Um, began training together. And I'm going to put that in air quotes because um, <laughs> both of us will now admit that we really didn't really know what each, uh, what we were doing, but he did expose me to the world of, you know, upland hunting in some respects. And so with that short hair that I had back then, his name was Miller. And with Miller, you know, we did a lot of things together. Um, um, we ultimately, you know, I was extremely happy when and I called him a finished broke dog when he would go on point and I could kind of get close to him, at least close enough to where before he broke, I could get off a shot and knock down the bird. So to me, I was I was happy with that. Yeah. With, with his retrieves, you know, if he was able to get it and kind of bring it to me and spit it out at my feet, that was a polished retrieve. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he was a meat dog for sure. He was um, versatile. You know, I did a lot of duck hunting with him, even though he was white and he's a beacon of light in the yeah. uh, uh, duck swamp. But he loved to swim. He got me plenty of ducks. And 
we did hunt a lot of wild birds. And even here in North Carolina, we chased after quail, woodcock, you know, pheasant and grouse and ducks and all kinds of stuff. Nice. Um, but, you know, with him, you know, while I had him, kind of a lot of things in my life happened. You know, uh, I finished college or finished, you know, graduate school. You know, I got a job. I met this girl. I married that girl. <laughs> bought a house. We had kids. You know, we had live on land. And so a lot of things happened during the 13 years that, that I had him. Um, uh, but ultimately, you know, he passed. He left sometime around 2012 or so. And, um, um, I really, you know, obviously anytime you lose a dog kind of breaks your heart, but, um, after a few months, you begin to kind of look over at the next chapter and I was aware of what NAVDA was. And when I say aware, you know, I knew it did something with versatile hunting dogs and I knew from a distance, it was something I wanted to be a part of. But that being said, being kind of lazy myself, I didn't know what an NA dog was or a UT dog was. And yeah. I certainly didn't know the difference between the prizes. Like I didn't know what was better, a prize one or a prize three. And I figured I would cross that bridge whenever I um, uh, was in the market for a new dog. But I knew that I did want an ABDA dog. And um, I reached out to Mike Zlotnicki. And um, Mike Z uh, had also recently lost his dog, Kate. And he's like, hey, you know, uh, I found this line of dogs from this breeder up in Maryland. Uh, they do NAVDA stuff, and I uh, got a dog, and I'm super impressed with it. I want you to meet it. And so it turns out that Mike Z had purchased a dog from uh, Donnie Ebersol with Frodosheim GSPs. Yeah. And um, uh, Mike and I met one day after work. He showed me his dog, uh, Annie, and I was like, wow, you know, this is a sharp dog. So um, I was like, I, I want to get get in on that. And from the lazy perspective, I figured – I didn't have to do any of that research. You know, I still don't have to know what an NA dog is or a UT <laughs> dog. I just know that, you know, Mike's really sharp. He knows his stuff. I can just, uh, you know, follow his guidance. So yeah. I called Donnie, talked to him and had a good conversation. He told me about the breedings. And then um, um, there's another guy, Fred Rice. Um, he was at the Missouri Uplands chapter, but he was actually deals with the same bloodline. I was moving to um, Greensboro. And so me being a little bit on the cheap side was like, wow, you know, I can reach out to uh, Fred. <laughs> Fred's going to be closer. He might be a little cheaper. So, you know, let me, let me kind of work this angle a little bit. <laughs> now, did he make the paperwork optional too? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I called Fred and um, talked to him. And uh, coincidentally, he was actually literally moving from Missouri to North Carolina. So he was in his truck in transit when he picked up the phone call. And the only reason he said he picked up the phone call is because it had the same area code was which he was moving. So he thought it was his um, uh, person with his house or something like that. So I talked to him for a little while. He did have a litter coming, but um, I was looking for a male and he was already kind of booked up in those respects. But he did ask me, he, he said, you know, what um, uh, pairing is Donnie working with? You know, what kind of um, a, or who's he looking at breeding? And so when I told him, I'll never forget this. Fred said, well, I'm, I'm going to do you a favor. He goes, as soon as you get off the phone with me, just go ahead and write a deposit check to Donnie and send that in. And so that kind of made me pause for a second. And I was like, either this guy doesn't want to deal with me or he really likes this breeding and he wants me to get a hold of it. And I was yep. like, either way, I'm going to have to go with it. So I did exactly as he said. And I sent off that deposit. That was December of 2012. And I had to you know, wait a month or so before the breeding took place and then another, you know, couple months for the pups to hit the ground and then another couple months before we uh, uh, picked them up. But uh, ultimately in May 2013, ended up getting our nab to short hair. And by that time, Fred had moved in. I would, had already reconnected with Mike Z and they invited me to a uh, nab to training day at the Carolinas chapter. And uh, I remember taking my pup that was probably about nine uh, weeks old at the time. And was really blown away at how friendly everybody was and uh, what all that they were doing with the dog. So I knew it was something that I really wanted to be a part of. Gotcha. So, so that really kind of got you started on your whole NABDA journey. So I'm assuming you got in, you obviously fell in love with it. You're still doing it and you're starting your own chapter. So you, you got full fledged into the testing and everything. What was it that really stood out to you? Was it the quality of dog? Was it the community? Was it pretty much everything under the sun that really made you fall in love with the NAVDA 
uh, just the whole NAVDA organization as a whole? Yeah, it really was, like you said, everything under the sun. It's meeting the the different people from, you know, all different kind of, you know, walks of life. You know, the uh, first and foremost, everybody cared for the dog. And it wasn't a competitive situation that I thought it would be. It was a, um, uh, a lot of cooperation. So yeah. people are giving you advice. They're not being critical. You know, there was no backstabbing or anything like that. They generally want you to do well. and They're trying to help you to do yeah. well. And if you are interested and want to work with your dog, you know, there's all these resources that people are willing to help you out with. And so that um, really kind of blew me away. The other thing that kind of blew me away is um, uh, it turns out that litter that I got a pup out of, um, strangely enough or coincidentally enough, I ended up getting another liver and white short hair. (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I wanted a darker dog, but out of that litter, you know, the one that was a little darker, he ended up kind of getting picked first. Well, lo and behold, he got returned. Actually, after a, a week, that one got returned. The original owner said the dog was lethargic, was sick, had a hole in its heart and all this. So Donnie took the dog back. And then after Donnie had the dog for a while, he, he was like, you know, there's really nothing wrong with this dog. You had the vet check it out a couple of times and Finally, he put it back up for sale at 16 uh, weeks of age. So Mike Z sent me a link uh, when he was advertising the dog. And I just took that link and forwarded it to my wife. And uh, I didn't say anything. Just put the link. <laughs> and then my wife replied back. Um, it's like, you know, is he still available? How much do you think you want? So I reached back out to Donnie and long story short, ended up getting a second dog out of that litter. And he was a darker colored dog. So kind of fit, fit both of my needs. And so when I actually went to go pick up um, the darker colored dog, his name is Brother, um, I drove up the, to the Potomac chapter and they're having one of their training days. And so um, at this particular training day, you know, I met the pup, met Donnie, and then uh, Donnie asked if I wanted to go for a walk in the field with some guys running a dog. And I was like, sure. And so um, I didn't know it at the time, but they were training for the invitational. And so I'm walking out with um, Barry Bollinger's dog, Mason, and um, uh, another dog, and their runs are flawless. They're running a brace. You know, they're backing each other. They're pointing. They're steady. The wings shot and fall. And then after the bird would be shot, they just stand around and casually go, well, you know, do you want your dog to the retrieve or should I let my <laughs> dog do the retrieve? And I'm just sitting here blown away because if you remember my first short hair, he would just, you know, he'd break and then he would just spit the bird out at your feet. And I'm like, these guys have so much control over this dog. I was like, this is what I want. This is yeah. what I'm going to sign up for. So that one experience, picking up that second puppy and kind of seeing, you know, what all could happen, just really put it all together for me. So after nah. that, I was in it. Yeah, no, I, I find that's a big selling tool when you have somebody that shows up. Maybe it's before they get their pup or it's their first training day. You know, obviously they want to work their puppy and, and see what it's about. And so, you know, you do basic intro level stuff, but I tell them before you leave, go watch some of the utility level dogs yep. and see what the end goal is. See, see what it can become. And then it's going to, it's just going to blow them away. I've never seen anybody that's interested in, in the gun dogs go out there and see a high caliber utility level dog and not come away saying, I want that. Or at least I want some portion of that. Uh, it's a selling point every time. So let's fast forward and get into what made you want to start your own chapter? Because that's what we're talking about here tonight is starting your own chapter Let's start with the why. What made you want to start a new chapter? Yeah. Um, so I had been involved with, as I kind of got more involved with NAVDA uh, at the chapter level, um, I wanted to be involved. And, and mo- mostly I worked with the Carolinas chapter. So around 2017, I became the vice president of the um, uh, Carolinas chapter, and I was in charge of the training days and really enjoyed a lot of that um, work there. Um, However, I was driving about two to three hours to um, organize these training days. So I'm spending a lot of my free time uh, rounding up birds. And then, you know, I'm waking up early or getting a hotel room the night before driving to the training day location, sometimes with kids in tow, sometimes not. Um, 
doing the training days, which can go, as you know, until two or three in the afternoon and then coming oh, yeah. home completely exhausted. Yep. And um, it, in my mind, I was like, well, in our state of North Carolina, you know, there are a couple of chapters that are mainly towards the eastern half of the of the state. And I live in the western half of the state, um, a little small town called Advance um, outside of Winston-Salem. And so in my mind, I was like, well, if I can ever find a core group of people, you know, to form a chapter, it's something I should do. Um, Well, it happened that um, I had some health issues in 2019 um, that that really kind of um, it sent me to the hospital. And um, um, basically, a long story short is I've got a rare tumor that's uh, uh, inside my abdomen that wreaked uh, a lot of havoc. Mm -hmm. So as uh, that all came on real quick. And uh, the first time I was in the hospital was for 10 days. And I was supposed to run a uh, natural ability dog in a couple of weeks. Well, I realized that my life had changed and I was not going to be able to run that NA dog. So I'd actually contacted the test secretary, told him I had some uh, problems and needed to pull my dog. Well, my friend um, Fred Rice um, found out about that and he said, no, don't pull your dog. We'll figure out how to how to get it run. And so um, Fred actually um, put forth uh, this big kind of machine to get this dog uh, tested up in um, the Poconos chapter in um, Pennsylvania. So it ended up that Mike Naduski ended up picking up um, the dog from uh, my house. I was out of the hospital by that time. Um, he drove it up and met with Blake and Stacy Horst, who carried it up to Donnie in uh, Maryland. Uh, Donnie kept the dog for a couple of days, did a couple of uh, um, pheasant tracks with it. And then Donnie was apprentice testing um, at the Poconos chapter that weekend. So Donnie carried the dog up to the uh, chapter test. Um, another guy named Phil Rosenbaum actually uh, handled the dog in the test on that Sunday. So Phil wow. showed up Sunday, had never seen the dog, <laughs> um, met it for the first time and ran it through the NA test. Um, you know, the dog actually got a prize one. So, um, <laughs> I, was, I was pretty excited. Planes, uh, trains, and automobiles get you a prize one, I guess. That's right. That's right. To come home, Scott Caldwell actually carried the dog home to North Carolina <laughs> um, to his place and then met up with uh, Vivian Hansen, who's the treasurer of the Carolinas chapter, who kept the dog for me um, for about a month or two while I was kind of recovering. Okay. Um, so, you know, that whole NAVDA community for me just really kind of came forth in that, um, uh, in that one kind of episode and just kind of, you know, it was something that I wanted to be more of a part of. So I ended up having to have a, a surgery in, um, September. Um, and unfortunately was in the hospital for two to three weeks at that time with a lot of complications and all that stuff. Um, that was actually when the invitational was happening, um, in, uh, 2017. And so it's going to sound crazy, but as I'm laid up in my hospital bed every day, I'm pulling up to see who's, who's running (laughs) the invitation. (laughs) Who do I know? And then I'm texting them that morning, wishing them good luck, telling them I'm thinking about them. And then, you know, that afternoon starting around four or five o'clock, I'm constantly checking the webpage to see as they post the results. Most people probably don't know this, but they post the results every day online. And so I was actively looking at it. And then when um, I saw how the people did, I would text them and either tell them congratulations or, you know, I'm sorry, didn't make it. I've been there. It sucked. It's awful. (laughs) I did did the same thing last year, not, not from a hospital bed, but I did the same thing last year. It's, it's neat watching friends and connections you've made through a few years, you know, doing well and then just, you know, falling short, but either way, you know, just quick text and it, it lets them know that, people are paying attention and they care. And, and, yep. and, you know, like you said earlier, it's everybody kind of comes together and for the same reason to make better dogs and help each other out. So, uh, I, I really love invitational time because even when, even when you're not there, you can check on your buddies and uh, see how their dogs are doing. Yeah, for sure. And so as I'm kind of recovering from all that, you know, it made me realize, um, that NAVDA was something that I was passionate about. I'd actually gotten a little, um, burned out on NAVDA after my uh, crash and burn at the Invitational in 2017. But with my health stuff and, um, you know, everything that went on with getting that dog tested in a, I began to realize that, you know what, if I come out of this health stuff on the other side, 
then I'm definitely going to, um, you know, see about starting a new chapter for our area. And so um, as I began to kind of improve my health and get all the tubes and everything kind of disconnected from me, I started reaching out to a few people and um, um, specifically also in my area is Grayson Geyer and Emily Shirey. And um, I know they had been involved with NAVDA, so um, I had conversations with them. They were interested in being involved and thought that there was a a need. After that, there's another guy that um, I met at some trainings. His name was uh, uh, Tong Lor, and um, he was also interested in it, didn't live too far away, and mentioned another guy, Donald Tyndall, who was in my area that was interested. So that told me that there was enough interest um, to kind of get some people together to kind of see, you know, if this project had legs, you know, right. if it all would hunt, so to speak. Well, and that, and that's really kind of the first step is build the interest because now we can kind of really get into how do you start the chapter? You just mentioned, I think, five names. And, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this stuff, because you just recently went through all this. It's a little fresher on your mind. You have to have 10 people to start a chapter. And so you just listed five. You're halfway there. So what are the first few steps? You're starting with interest. Get the names on the board. But what what's the next step in line to to start making this chapter happen? Yeah. Um, what we did at first is, uh, and this was around the beginning of this year. So, you know, February, March of, uh, 2020, um, you know, these people began to put forth some other names. So I decided to put together a, a training day at my place. Kind of, I called it a NAVDA style training day. Meet and um, greet. Yep, kind of a meet and greet. And so I'm fortunate enough to live on 45 acres here and uh, maintain some fields for hunting and things like that. So uh, we ended up having 12 people come out to our place. It was right at the height of COVID. We wanted to do it in March or April, but we pushed it back until May. And so at the kind of meet and greet, we did, you know, your classic kind of training. We had some puppies out, out there, brought some birds in place. Um that we're able to get a hold of. Um, we had people running, you know, that were training for the invitational. We had people running utility dogs. We had another guy that had done some retrieving stuff with his short hair. Um, and so uh, we had a good mix of dogs and of people. And at the end of that uh, day, I told people ahead of time that at lunch, you know, bring your own lunch and let's have a conversation about a new chapter. And I actually got my notes um, that I, from what we talked about. And so, one of the things that we wanted to um, talk about was, um, uh, you know, obviously we're talking about property, we're talking about people, but we wanted to talk about, uh, you know, the kind of region that we wanted to focus on. Since there are already chapters in North Carolina, we wanted to really have a, a regional focus and we wanted to focus around the kind of the area between Greensboro, Charlotte and Boone. And um, when it came to naming the chapter, that's also why we chose Foothills is to really kind of put that regional stamp on it. Right. Um, and so, you know, people, uh, the overwhelming reason that people wanted a local chapter is that they were also tired of driving two or three uh, hours to a training day. So, you know, everybody there wanted something kind of close by. We actually had a lot of members of the Tar Hill chapter and a lot of members of the uh, Carolina chapter. Um, so, you know, we began to talk about property where we could do this. People are putting forth a lot of ideas. Um, but then we wanted to have a discussion about, you know, what attributes do we want the chapter to have? And so this is what I thought was kind of interesting is, you know, um, first and foremost, people wanted the chapter to have clear communications. Um, uh, the next thing that popped up rather quickly was uh, no egos. You know, they wanted large egos <laughs> to be at the gate. So, yeah. uh, you know, all that's kind of interesting. And, you know, they wanted a, a, the chapter to have a a, a fun a focus with having fun and also with a family feel. So you would think when you're talking about attributes, at first people are just going to talk about dogs, dogs, dogs. But this is a lot of you know stuff associated with community that I thought was yeah. really interesting. Uh, we also talked about having you know innovative training days, uh, the desire to to have multiple training days per month, even at different locations. Um, you know that there's also some interest in midweek or late afternoon trainings. Um, so, and then youth emphasis came up very quickly too. And so wanted to have a, a youth focus. So after that initial meeting, you know, it's kind of like, all right, you know, you got people, so check, 
All right, we've got interest and uh, um, we appear to have a lot of motivation. Um, so, you know, what, what do we do? And so um, I reached out to the, you know, we're beginning to develop an interest group. Word's beginning to spread. We're becoming, you know, you know 10, 20 people um, that are interested. So I reached out to this interest group that was constantly uh, growing and said, okay, you know, it's time to volunteer for um, leadership. You know, uh, if, if anybody is interested in leadership opportunities, you know, step up. And we had several people um, to step up. Um, I'll also say that around the time that we were beginning, you know, right after that, um, we had this initial meeting in May, um, you know, as I said, word got out and I got in touch with uh, Doug Harrison and his wife, Stephanie, that had, that were active members of the Tar Hill chapter and had recently moved to Charlotte. I didn't know they had moved, but they also had ideas about starting up a chapter in the area. So, um, uh, we all kind of grouped up. We had a, a big kind of Zoom meeting of around seven or eight people, and uh, we began to talk about leadership positions and um, put, you know, resolved who the leadership uh, positions were going to be, and then started putting forth a plan for how we're going to um, become a chapter. And so, obviously, going to the website, they've got everything written down fairly well on what on what you can do. Um, you talked about the 10 members. Um, that is um, one of the things that we needed. The other is, look here. Um, the testing uh, grounds, it, right? Yeah, it's the testing grounds. And so Doug and Stephanie Harrison had already been in touch with a landowner um, around Charlotte that had grounds that they were offering up. So we went down there and tested out the ground, or checked out the grounds. The guy's a farmer, um, but in the off season, he runs a preserve um, at his place. So during the summer, uh, we could use his fields, but, you know, depending upon um, access, uh, he may have cotton in there, maybe soybeans, maybe corn, but, you know, after the growing season, which uh, finishes up and depending on the crop in April or September, a lot of that's going to be harvested. And then after the corn's harvested, there actually is some um, weeds and grass up underneath that make for suitable um, fields. So he had water on his place. Um, Duck search was not too far from there and, um, you know, had plenty of fields. So that kind of checked the box for uh, access to grounds um, for the application. Okay. The uh, other thing that, you know, we began to talk about is uh, you you need to check for insurance. Um, so, you know, you're going to need, you're going to need money. And so with the leadership group, um, we actually had people put forth $600 worth of seed money. So um, that $600 is what we use to, to start up the chapter. Um, that seed money is what we used for the, uh, to pay the insurance premium for the first year. Um, the other thing that, you know, when you're talking about land um, and grounds, I always ask myself, you know, would I run a dog at this location? Yeah. I I like to be very, you know, kind of critical. And so um, for this particular location, you know, it depends on the time of the year. In the summer, no, because it's, you know, soybeans and corn. But in in the winter, yes. um, But we uh, reached out to Maria Bondi uh, just to make sure we had our application correct and um, uh, had all the prerequisites, and, and we did, and we put forth that application uh, to NAVDA um, with the 10 names that are the, you know, charter members, the check for the insurance, and um, all the imagery that you need for the application. You know, Google Earth was a real big help when you're trying to get satellite pictures. Also, yeah. regular, you know, pictures from the back of your truck of the test site. And um, uh, Onyx Maps really helped me out for determining acreage sizes and things like that. Gotcha. Um, well, a quick question on the on the insurance money, and this kind of goes into uh, I've talked to a few people that they've they they've asked me on how to start a chapter, and I just send them to the website because I'm I'm not working for NAVDA or anything like that. But yeah. uh, one of the big questions that constantly comes up between the few people that have reached out um, is the money situation, how to set up the um, chapter with the money and everything. And you mentioned that y'all, y'all kind of came together for the insurance cost, but did y'all establish the paperwork and the, the bank account and all that fun stuff for the chapter first and then pay via the chapter? 
or just through one person. And I guess what I'm asking is, you know, this isn't a financial podcast, but it does. It is a big piece in starting a a NAPTA chapter. So how do you go about starting the bank account and the EIN number and and all that fun stuff? And, uh, you know, let's try and keep it as entertaining as we possibly can. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, we took a gamble and, you know, we um, thought, you know, we had a good group of people and that there's a good probability that our chapter would be approved. So um, even before we got approved, we started um, organizing the chapter from the uh, as an entity status. So you got that question of what type of entity do you want the chapter to be? You know, back in the old days, you know, there was no formal entity. It was just, you know, a guy that was the treasurer probably opened up a separate checking account under his name and he took yep. care of everything. Right. But we decided since we're starting um, fresh and we live in a, a litigious a litigious society, <laughs> we'll yeah. go ahead and kind of form an entity. And so um, we first in the state of North Carolina, you can go to the Secretary of State's webpage and uh, it's pretty easy. It actually walks you through how to form a business. One of the business types that you can form is a nonprofit. Um, So straight from that Secretary of State webpage, you know, we're able to uh, put forth our application, which is only four pages long for um, uh, our articles of incorporation for Foothills NAFTA. Um, In in North Carolina, you can actually search and look at other people's um, uh, articles of incorporation. So, yes, you know, we did search um, for the other two NAFTA chapters and you know, lo and behold, our articles of incorporation are very similar to theirs. Um, so no, no big surprises there. After you um, get approved for your articles of incorporation, at that point, um, you can apply for an EIN, um, I guess your identification number with the IRS. So you go to the IRS's webpage, um, and then you can apply for an EIN, um, as your incorporated entity. And once you get that EIN back, which takes about a week, um, then you can um, open up a banking account. And I will say to start a nonprofit in North Carolina, it's $60. I don't remember what the fee is for uh, EIN, but it was um, you know negligible, all things considered. But once you get the bank account, then that's the green light for everything. So you know, once we get that bank account, at that point, uh, we waited for our um, uh, approval from NAVDA. Uh, when we got our approval, then we um, started our webpage. Um, we set up our social media accounts and all that. Uh, we started, you know, um, sending our applications, membership applications out to our uh, email distribution list of all the people that were interested. And then that, you know, membership money began to kind of fill up our coffers even more. Gotcha. So real quick, let's try and make this the last question because I know this is not what everybody comes to listen to this podcast for. But uh, when you're starting the bank account and everything, did you did y'all follow up? And uh, what was the process? Because I've been told from a a few people they've gotten quoted some crazy prices and time links to uh, get the. 501c3 nonprofit status. And I, I know that helps the chapter out with, with when it's time to do taxes. I don't think it's a requirement for the chapter to get that status, mm-hmm. but I know it helps them out. So did y'all go that route as well? We did. Um, and I don't recall, you know, it wasn't our top priority and our priority was to get the webpage, get training days and all that stuff started. And after right. a couple of months, then we put forth our application um, for the 501c3, and that was here through the state of North Carolina, uh, again, with the Secretary of State um, Department. And uh, I just talked to um, uh, Stephanie Harrison today. She's our treasurer because uh, I wanted to make sure I understood everything correctly. And uh, she did tell me that you know our 501c3 status was approved and has gone through. So that may vary state to state. Um, but for us, you know, there wasn't any long or crazy um, wait times. It did cost, I think, 200 and something dollars. So it was a little bit more expensive than some of the others. But um, but it's done now. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So that that's out of the way. <laughs> Let's yeah. get back to some of the fun stuff. So you, you finally started this up. Y'all start training day. You have your core group of people. 
walk us through the next steps. Are y'all already talking about testing days, getting that set up? Uh, You know, what's next? Are y'all just kind of trying to get in the flow of the training day, especially amongst this crazy virus year? You know, Mm -hmm. I know that threw some things off, but uh, walk us through that. Yeah, I'll say even even before that, we were uh, early on having discussions, and this is another kind of boring topic, so I'll make it quick, is <laughs> bylaws, because that's another Oh, topic. yeah, yeah. You know, with bylaws, um, do, you know, are they required by NAFTA International? No, but, you know, they're definitely strongly encouraged. Right. Uh, you know, they don't want to get involved with what your bylaws are. So we searched around for a few by- bylaws online, and then we um, held a um, – I kind of created a template um, for us to work off of, and we've actually had two Zoom meetings so far to kind of flesh everything out. And the way we've got everything organized is we have a um, executive council of a president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, and then we also do have a member at large. And so in addition to the EC, uh, we also have a broader board of directors, which includes the uh, executive council. And then there we've added a director of testing, uh, a director of gunning, um, a director of websites slash social media, um, but also a director of fundraising. And then uh, this is something that I think is kind of innovative, but a director of youth development, because that's one of the things that we really wanted to, you know, basically put our money where our mouth was. You know, everybody talks about youth development, but we, we actually want to make it happen and we want to assign somebody to make it happen. Now, so, do you have people kind of running – numerous spots on this like do you have your president or vp also being one of the director roles or is this a different individual for every single role different individual for every single role um and we're still fleshing that out we filled out everything but two so right now we're still looking for the director of fundraising and the director of youth development and we're we're taking our time wanting to find the right person because you know being the first into the job you're really going to develop it so we want the person to have to be vested into it and to really kind of make, make it happen. But yeah, um, you know, as we're getting started, we're trying, we're actively trying not to be just three or four people starting a chapter we're, we really want as many people to be as involved as, as possible. Because yeah. The more people that are involved, the more success that the chapter is going to have as a whole. Absolutely. So, so y'all are working on the bylaws and everything. Let's let's go back to y'all are running training days. You know, a lot of people that don't, like you just said, it's hard to do these chapters when you just have three or four main people doing everything. You know, you're, you're dealing with burnout and there's only so much ground you can cover. And if, if it's a bad month for one or two of those individuals, then you don't have any helpers really. Uh, and I mean, putting on the, these training days and tests really, uh, it, it's a lot of work. And so, I mean, everything from picking up birds, you know, talk to us real quick. You know, did y'all already have uh, bird contacts or sources in place or um, some chapters? I know they develop kind of a contract with them per year to just know that they have birds when they need them. Uh, you know, how did y'all get that set up for for the Foothills chapter? So, um, you know, getting birds during, you know, preserve season, you know, September 1 to May 31st or March 31st is pretty easy. You know, there's several games right. on bird farms in North Carolina that we can easily get um, quail, chucker, pheasant, all that kind of stuff. Uh, ducks are relatively available as well. It's during the non-preserve season that we get a few challenges. And so... Fortunately, there's enough of us around that have done this for a few years. We've got a few contacts where we can get birds in the off season, or, or at least be able to put something together uh, in the off season. Um, but when you're talking about the number of volunteers and all that, that's that's the key right there. So our goal for training days is to hold two training days a month, um, and we actually do it at two different locations. We've got our location outside of Charlotte in Stanfield, North Carolina, which is the farm where we do our testing and all that. Uh, We do that on the uh, fourth uh, weekend of the month. On the second weekend of the month, we do something, you know, closer to where I live uh, in Randleman, North Carolina. There we actually use a hunting preserve and we have a relationship there with the owner um, and he picks up the birds for us and we use his grounds and all that. We pay a little extra for the birds there um, for his time and all that, but you know, it all kind of works out. Um, as far as the amount of people, 
One of the things that um, I like for us to do is get as many people involved as possible. And a lot it, that really comes with organization. You know, because of my health issues, I can't be the one person that does it all. It's, right. just, it's physically impossible. So the um, bright side of my health stuff is I've really learned to delegate. And <laughs> uh, uh, I've been amazed at um, how much more productive it is. Uh, you know, it's kind of helped me out as a person to know that I can delegate and I can trust these people and it's all, it's all kind of working out. Um, but so when, I guess this is kind of tying back to wanting to be kind of an innovative chapter. We do a lot of things electronically. Um, so uh, we have a chapter email account, so that's not necessarily innovative. Um, one of the things that we do is we prefer that people, um, when they do their payments, that they do it by Venmo. Um, so all of our chapter financial stuff is actually done by Venmo. And so um, our secretary, when she um, sends out the RSVP or the information for a training day, it's actually a Google form that goes out. And so the member, uh, as they RSVP, they have to say um, how many dogs, the one that they're coming, and then how many dogs they're bringing. And then also, you know, what level is their dog or utility? And then we even have them check off what events that they want to do. Do they want to do utility field, puppy field, pheasant tracks, puppy swim? Do they want to do the deep water retrieve? Do they want to do double marks? You know, all that. So we have all this information ahead of time before the training day. So whoever's in charge of that training day can sit around and organize it ahead of time and go, okay, you know, Given our location, we can break up into two, three, four groups, and then we actually recruit leaders for each group. And then the, those leaders, we try to get two, at least two leaders for each group. They're going to be in charge. So one group may be the uh, utility fields. So we got two leaders that have a run in order. They can keep things kind of going. Um, also, because you know, birds have been, we know what birds people have ordered and that they paid for ahead of time. Literally, as soon as you roll up, you know, I'm, I'm waving you over. You're bringing your bird crate or your bird bag. We're stuffing your birds in there and we're handing it off to you. So if our training day start at seven o'clock uh, by seven ten, you know, birds are distributed. We're having our kind of morning announcements and then we're out into the field by seven fifteen. Uh, yeah. So we like, we like to be efficient. You know, we're breaking up into small groups where we've got a number of leaders who can, um, uh, roll through the running order and get and get things done. So we're trying not to be two or three people that do everything, but instead we're trying to be you know eight to ten. And also, um, um, because I you know got burned out in 2018, I, I roll through who our leaders are so that I'm tapping different people each time, so that you're not. It's easy to go back and ask um, you know the same person to to step up. But, you know, let's kind of shift it around. Let's move around and ask different people. Yeah. Uh, give them an opportunity to learn something new and and to get involved. And the more people are involved, the more active they're going to be in the chapter, the further they're going to take their dog. And the uh, more people you have learning that can handle the different jobs and you don't get stuck with just two or three people knowing how to do different things, you, you end up eventually getting 10, 15, 20 people that know how to do a little bit of everything. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, back in 2017, when I was the uh, VP and in charge of the training for the Carolinas chapter, I, I didn't know any better. So I tried my best to do everything. And, you know, it ended up that I was kind of performing a service. You know, I'm, yep. I'm putting together, you know, I'm a provider and they are a, a, a customer. And, um, you know, that quickly leads to burnout. And uh, I did not or I do not want that to happen, you know, with, with the Foothills chapter. So Absolutely. Um, so, all right. It sounds like y'all have a great structure for training days. It's, it's going to get people involved. It's going to make people just kind of have a vested interest in this whole deal. And everybody, the mission stays the same. Everybody's helping each other and everybody's gaining knowledge along the way. Um, walk us through real quick your, because y'all just performed y'all's first test. You know, how did that go down? Was it a little bit of a cluster being the first one with with just y'all or because you had so many people with the vested interest? Did it go pretty smoothly? Um, It went, you know, it went fairly smoothly. We had lots of things on our side. One is that we did an N.A. only test. 
Um, I was, uh, I, I really was a big proponent of that. I just wanted to, you know, let's have an introductory test. Strangely enough, the other thing that worked to our advantage is COVID. Um, that's going to sound strange, but we limited the number of people that are there. We didn't yeah. have to serve lunches. True. Um, we didn't have the events, you know, normally you ought to meet at a restaurant like Friday night or something like that. You know, we, we weren't able to do that. So COVID really kind of limited what we could do and it allowed us to focus just on the test. And so um, we, it was a two-day NA test. Our first day, it went well. You know, we were still kind of figuring things out. But I'll say, uh, but, you know, the judges were happy. You know, they didn't have any issues with it. But me and my personality, I'm all about efficiency. So I knew that things could be improved. And so on um, Sunday, um, our group had figured everything out and we actually made it happen. And so Sunday just ran really, really smooth. Um, and it was a great, great operation. We kind of worked as a real solid team on that particular day. Awesome. But, no, that that's fantastic. So uh, you mentioned you had you haven't filled the role yet, but you have a director of fundraising. I'm just curious as the chapter goes forward, there's always a question of money and putting this stuff on and, you know, money makes the world go round. So there there's obvious things from ground management and birds and stuff like that. Uh, some chapters supply a lot more training equipment and so forth and just, just flying judges in for tests and, and clinics and all this, it all costs money. Right. So, for people getting involved and considering starting a new chapter, what kind of fundraising is typical that y'all are aiming for real quick? You know, I know that you get some membership fees and test fees and so, so on and so forth, but are y'all kind of trying to branch out and find funds elsewhere outside of the typical just membership and test fees? Um, one of the things we've done recently is apparel. Um, so, we were fortunate enough to have a real nice logo made. Um, Lady uh, Terry Ann Fernando from the Tar Hill chapter, uh, she runs On Point Design and designed a real nice logo for us that you'll see on our social media and all that. So we just made some apparel, t-shirts, um, sweatshirts, and hats for that. So those are just getting out. But uh, aside from that, it has been just membership fees and from, uh, from the test. Uh, looking forward, um, we do want to have some fundraising events, but COVID's really kind of preventing that. You know, gotcha. we would like to have like a you know a skeet shoot or a clay shoot uh, as a fundraiser, um, or and also have some type of silent auction that goes on at the test. But with COVID right now, you know we're limited, so that's kind of what we're doing. But we're we're still fine. That six hundred dollars of seed money has has grown into a few thousand dollars in the bank, so. You know, money-wise, we're, we're stable. We try to make sure that our um, training days are break-even proposition um, for, you know, birds and field fees and all that. Um, so as long as we handle our money responsibly, you know, we're good. Awesome. Well, is there anything that we've overlooked or I haven't thought to ask about any of this stuff that you need, you say, when if you're starting a new chapter, you definitely need to consider this. You know, this yeah. is a big challenge or was a big issue. Was it, what did we miss? Yeah. The, I, I guess going back to our first test, there's one thing I kind of missed up on there or missed there. And um, one is our chapter uh, treasurer. I've mentioned her earlier is uh, Stephanie Harrison. And um, she also volunteered and wanted to be the first test secretary. And I was a little apprehensive about this because that's, you know, that's the two hardest roles in, in any chapter. But um, Stephanie really wanted to make sure our test, uh, first test went along well. And then I guess to also make her job even harder, she also wanted to be the field marshal um, <laughs> and then decided that she wanted to host the judges at, at her own house. So I don't know for how, punishment. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how she, her and Doug survived that weekend, but they did. <laughs> they're, they're still married and, and we're still friends. <laughs> um, so, but one of the things we learned from that is that, you know, we needed to, you know, we don't want to double dip on positions. You had mentioned that earlier. So, right. um, uh, so we have a new test secretary um, kind of going forward for that. So, you know, one piece of advice is, you know, um, ask a lot of people. It takes a village. Use as many people as you can. Um, you know, uh, delegate. Um, have a lot of good people um, in charge of the different positions. 
Um, we also, and this is going to sound dorky, but we held weekly Zoom meetings as a le- leadership group. Um, so every Thursday night at seven o'clock, our leadership group would uh, hop on. Um, now that we, you know, I wouldn't say we're running yet, but now that we're walking as a chapter, we've dialed that back to every two weeks. But our goal is to, you know, get it to just uh, once a month. Um, the other thing I like is that with these Zoom meetings, we're using the free account. So it's only 40 minutes. And so <laughs> it makes it keep it short. That's right. I, I, I email out in advance our agenda. So and I tell people it's going to be done in, in 40 minutes. You know, that <laughs> at all. So it's my job to make sure these meetings go through. And that that works out good because nobody wants to sit around for two hours and, no. and talk about stuff. Yeah. Um, we also, you know, really, you know, are trying to keep that family feel. So hopefully after this COVID stuff kind of um, goes away, then we can start doing some of the more traditional forms of chapter bonding. Cause I think that's really where a chapter is really going to grow. We can yeah. have begin doing barbecues. We can begin doing the fundraisers that we, that we really want. So that's why we're kind of looking forward to 2021. So that our group can kind of grow and bond. Absolutely. Um, now, um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, it takes a village, you know, the chapter isn't about one person. Um, and you, I always keep that in mind as like, you know, if, you know, something happens and the person goes away, how are we going to be as a group? And you never want to be overly dependent on any one individual, my, myself included. You know, with my health, I know that, um, you know, I could may not be around or, you know, could disappear. So I want to make sure that the entity lives on so, uh, as a group. Uh, and the most important thing is to remember that it's about the dogs. You know, first and foremost, it's about the dogs. Um, so... We always try to encourage every member to help out. We're all volunteers. Nobody's getting paid to do this. And, um, you know, as a community, we're making it happen. Absolutely. I'm amazed that, you know, when I look at it, you know, we're a new chapter. We just, you know, we're not even five months old, um, but already we've accomplished a lot. So in that five months, you know, as part-time volunteers, uh, we were able to form a nonprofit 501c3. Uh, we've developed a good group of strong leaders. Uh, we're up to 52 members um, right now. Uh, we hold two training days a month. We've held our first test. We did all this during a, glo- a global pandemic. I mean, that's sure. cool. I mean, that's, yeah. that's really, really exciting. So, Well, and, and it really just goes to show, I mean, you're already up to 52 members in just five months, and that's in a state that has two other chapters. And so, you know, again, I've, I've had a few people reach out asking about starting a new chapter and I, and I, I tell them the same thing, like, look, just do it. it uh, there's a demand for it. They say, well, you know, we have 10 people, but we just don't have any more than that. I'm like, they'll, they'll come there. There is a demand for this. We have people in our chapter driving up from Alabama, Mississippi, uh, down from Kentucky every single month. And that's, I mean, really if you look at the state map with all the chapters listed on NAVDA, you know that there's really, in my opinion, no reason why there's not a chapter in Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana. You know, I know for a fact that there are people that would love to get involved with this. Somebody just needs to pick up the ball and run with it because it's like you just said, five months in a pandemic year, you're making it happen. Y'all, y'all are just ran a test. And you, like you said, you may not be running yet, but you're walking. And that's with a state that has two established chapters already. Mm-hmm. That there, there are plenty of people that want to get involved. And, and like you said, it goes back to the dog. These people get these dogs. They want to get involved, learn how to train their dogs and help other people with the shared interest. It really just boils down to that. Yep. No, it's true. True. Yeah. That with, um, as we try to think about things that we'd like to grow into into the future, you know, we're really kind of going into it with our eyes wide open. You know, we'd like to secure some leased land, um, host uh, aims and rules clinic. I think that would really kind of benefit. You know, I think as a new chapter, you're going to get a lot more people at the natural ability level, and so that's really going to um, help out there. Develop this um, uh, the youth program as well, but. You know, like you said, odds are there's plenty of people in your area that want to do the same thing. So it's all about trying to figure out how to, how to reach out to them. So yeah, um, ho- figure out how to host an event and kind of get folks together, get the word out. Um, 
after that, you know, talk about what people envision as a chapter, put together a big group of doers. You know, that's the, you know, key thing is find people that are going to be motivated to get things done and then just work together as a team and make it happen. For sure. I think that's a perfect way to close out, Jeff. I appreciate you taking the time and coming on. You know, this isn't our normal episode where we kind of dive deep in the dogs, but uh, NAVDA is a lot of, it's an opportunity and a resource for a lot of people that uh, I know for a fact, you know, wouldn't be as involved in the gun dog world without it. And and it's helped a lot of people and it's going to continue down the road. And just people like you, just if you feel the need, you know, stop waiting, just go do it, knock it out. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.